You're now listening to the River Claremont Podcast. Angels and demons continuing the spiritual warfare. Before I begin, I just want to say um, I'm going to teach today, which is probably one of the most difficult things for me to do in ministry. I'm more of a preacher. So I'm going to follow it out. I have nine pages to go through. I would recommend you take notes on this. I would say that this is introductory. And I'll just be point blank honest with you. The reason why I felt to teach this on a Sunday morning and not just a Sunday night or something like that is just because of the, the hyper um, excitement going on in the American church right now regarding the demonic. Uh, we've, uh, we've been pastoring seven years, you know, in seven years, we have watched the increase of people that just hate us for doing anything on October 31st. And even to the point people are now criticizing if you put a Christmas tree up, look, bro, it's a Christmas tree. Okay. There was peace in my household growing up and we threw a dove on it and it was great. So. I think just people, because they don't know, I've noticed the skittishness in the body of Christ regarding the demonic. Uh, and the Bible talks about in the last days, the doctrine of demons becoming a thing that people get into. And a lot of it is rooted on hearing what former devil worshipers or things like that did. And so it kind of like, no, you don't understand. This is what they did. Well, they are now saved because our kingdom is greater than their kingdom. So never forget that. The only reason we know of what they did is because they tried to beat the church and the church beat the, church beat the devil right out of them. Almost like, a, almost like stuttered there. Amen. So spiritual warfare. Number one, we're going to talk about angels. Angels are created celestial beings that are far below the Godhead yet above the state of fallen humans. The Bible kind of lays out that they have supernatural strength. Uh, they have access to God. They are in the glory realm of the Lord. Some of them are warring angels with mighty weapons, and they fight. Angels are mentioned 108 times in the Old Testament and 165 times in the New Testament for a grand total of 273 times in Scripture angels are referred to. In comparison to healing or all its variations, healing, cured, being healed, that only appears roughly 150 times. So almost twice as much in Scripture it, it speaks about the ministry or the working of angels over healing, which healing is one of the premises and the foundations of the Christian faith that Jesus came to heal. Amen. Amen. But there are angels. Angels are not fat little babies with bow and arrows. In fact, even scripturally, females are not even uh, female. Uh, angels are not even female. What did I say? Females are not even female. People are like, oh, it's that church. <laughs> Myrtle, get your bag. There's only two. You know. well, women are women, men are men. We understand that. Amen. <laughs> I can tell this is going to go well today. All right, angels, scripturally speaking, Psalm 91 says, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all of your ways, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Psalm 34, 7, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. 
angels are scripturally protectors. Write it down. We have protection. And the Bible lays out there is innumerable demons. We'll get into demons here in a moment. But there are two, uh, two times as many angels as there are demons. Come on. So we are in the camp that has the greatest number and the greatest power. So guess what? We will not lose. In the Bible, angels shut up the mouths of lions, according to Daniel. When Daniel was thrown into the, the lion's den, he told the king that the lions came and shut the mouths of the lions, and he was able to sleep peacefully among them. Thank God for the angels of God, amen, amen. that watch over you. Elijah prayed, and his servants saw that the mountain was full of chariots and horses of fire, so that there were more with us than there are against us. That's the angelic host of heaven. Jesus himself said, at any time, he was justified to call down a legion of angels and they would have delivered him from the hands of Pilate and the people of Israel at that time, but he willingly sacrificed his life so that we could be saved. He was grateful for that. Once more, Peter was brought forth from prison when he was awaiting to be executed by an angel. Isn't that awesome? Now, I would like to say this regarding that. Angels... Are not The Bible says there are ministering spirits sent forth to the heirs of salvation. That your prayers, your declarations, you're not controlling or dictating what angels do, but you're asking the Father and the angels respond to the command of the Lord above. Amen. And so the Bible actually lays out with Peter that the reason why the angels showed up was that the church prayed fervently on his behalf while he was in prison, they didn't let up. They were in an all-night prayer meeting, praying so intensely that an angel of the Lord delivered him, and he knocked on the door, and they thought it was his ghost or his spirit, and they went back to keep praying he would be delivered. <laughs> and he's like, no, really, I'm actually delivered, and I'm here right now. Amen. So there's protection. Angels are divine protection. Um, the enemy tries his best to access us through different ways, but the angels of the Lord will protect us. That's why we pray for one another and say, Lord, I thank you that your hand is upon them. I pray the angels of God be encamped about them. I pray that no weapon formed against them can prosper. I pray that even in our ignorance, we might be saved and redeemed and healed and protected. Amen. How many people in here ever done something stupid? That's right. I would raise everything right now. I am literally a Tennessean. We are known for it. Encouragers. The, the Bible actually refers to the fact that one of the ministries of an angel is they are encouragers. An angel came and encouraged Elijah when he was fleeing for his life from Jezebel. And in stark terror, the angel of the Lord came and encouraged him and fed him a meal that gave him divine strength to run 40 days. The Bible says when Jesus resisted the devil... When he was led into the wilderness, that afterwards, being tired, hungry, and worn down, that the angels of the Lord came and ministered unto him and strengthened him. Amen. Now, I would say this. A lot of what demonic forces do, you're unaware of. It's not like you see a demon everywhere you go. It's the same with the angelic hosts. You don't see them, but they are there. And so what, some of the times when they encourage us, obviously, Elijah saw the angel at this time. But there's just divine encouragement in the kingdom of God where they come and strengthen you and lift you up with a supernatural strength to keep moving forward. Amen. The Bible says that Jacob was met 
by a host of heaven of, of, of angels that encouraged him just before he met up with his brother Esau. If you follow the story of Jacob and Esau, of course, Jacob swindled him out of his birthright, fled for his life. Finally, he's coming back. Esau's probably going to kill me. Esau's a warrior. I'm Jacob. And he was nervous about it. And the angels of the Lord came and surrounded Jacob and encouraged him before the meeting. And when he met Esau, Esau wrapped his arms around him, and it was great healing between the brothers. So they are encouragers. Shout encouragement. Now, that's actually something in the Bible talks about. Paul wrote somewhere in, in, in the New Testament. I I don't know it off the top of my head, but I've read it many times, how the Lord would send encouragement to those that need encouragement. And obviously there's angelic hosts that do it, but also the body of Christ. One of the greatest things you can do in the, in the church is be an encourager of those in the body, encouraging them in their walk, encouraging them in the good things of God, and just building them up on their most holy faith and not tearing them down. Amen? Shout encouragement. Now, an angel also appeared to Paul when he was on the boat, visited by an angel. When they were about to go down in a storm and everybody's worried, Paul had an angel show up that encouraged him and said, no one on this boat will die. So Paul was able to stand up and declare to everybody on the boat in the midst of the storm, listen, we will not die. We have a promise from God. The angel of the Lord encouraged him, said, do not be afraid. Do not be uh, in fear for you're not going to die. Thank God for that. The angels came, as I said, and ministered unto Christ. Now, also, the Bible says that the angels are messengers. An angel actually means, the word angel means a messenger of God. So, probably one of the main tasks of angels is they bring the word of God, the delivery to people in the Old Testament. Now, under the New Testament, angels still do that, but ultimately, we also have the Spirit of God on the inside of us. So now, contrary to the Old Testament, we now are born-again believers with the Spirit of God within us. And so now, it doesn't take an external angel to come and deliver a message. You have the mind of Christ, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So you can get it. The Spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. He reveals it unto us. But scripturally speaking, angels are messengers. Maybe they deliver messages to the forces of darkness. Right? When we pray, what does the Bible say? It says that what we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What we loose on earth will be loose in heaven. The angelic hosts come and deliver a message to the demon that's tried to plague your cousin for 12 years that when you bind it, it's bound in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, somebody. The angels of the Lord are messengers. They, bring, they brought a message in, in the Bible. Joseph, of course, had a very tricky situation. I'm engaged to this lady. She's pregnant. She says she didn't sleep with someone else. Right. But the angel of the Lord visited him and said, marry her. Then another time visited him and said, flee to Egypt for your life. And then another time visited him and said, now it's safe to come back. So the angel of the Lord literally directed this man's life to protect Christ, to see the promise come to pass. The angels of the Lord will deliver a message. And interesting enough, the Bible says sometimes we actually entertain angels being unaware. So sometimes maybe you are hard-headed, you don't know what to do, you're asking God for direction, and the Lord will send an angel across your path, and you don't know, it just looks like a person working at Chick-fil-A. Of course the angel would be at Chick-fil-A. It's definitely not going to be down at that backslidden KFC.
<laughs> angels are messengers. In Scripture, Lot was directed by angels to leave Sodom before it was destroyed. Philip was directed by an angel to meet up with the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, this is in the New Testament. So they show up even in the New Testament. And Cornelius was visited by an angel. When he was giving daily and honoring the Lord, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Summon Peter, bring him to your household. And that was the open door of salvation coming to the Gentile nation through an angelic visitation. Now we're going to talk about demons. That's, that's for angels. There's angelic hosts about us that protect us, lead us, and guide us. The demonic is what I'm going to spend more time with today, not because it's more important, but because it's the part that more people fascinate themselves by. All right, so demons. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. The foundation of what I'm going to talk about is do not be ignorant of the work of hell. The devil is a liar. He's a sly. He's manipulative. His desire is to kill, steal, and destroy. And he will do that through whatever way he can do it. And his goal is, is to do that in your life over your kid's life, over the church as a whole, to always seek to destroy the good that God wants to do. The demons, as the Bible says in Jude 1 through 6, I remind you the angels that did not stay within the limits of authority that God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. Could be that demons are fallen angels. I've also heard it taught, and you can take it however you want. That it would be the souls of people if you follow creation, Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 2, when God said to mankind, replenish the earth, not plenish it, but replenish it. It's an indication that before Satan had a throne on earth, Satan sought to overthrow the kingdom of God. God destroyed the earth one more time. That's why it was flooded. And there's a lot of people that teach that's where de demonic spirits come from. The souls of those in pre-Adamite creation under Satan's rule back in his day. Wherever they come from doesn't matter because we know where they're going. Come on, somebody. And I just want you to get that because a lot of times people get wor worked up about trying to understand it. Understand it. Don't be ignorant, but also understand it has been completed. And Christ is on our side. Amen. The purpose of demons, what they exist for, is to seek to hinder the purposes of God. They will frustrate, shut down. If you follow a lot of revivals or if you follow history, you can see this. Harvard began as one of, a, one of America's leading Bible colleges. Did you know that? Now Harvard is not a Bible college. Harvard is very much an institution for liberalized demonic thinking. Period. You can see it everywhere where great revivals break out. L.A., a huge revival broke out there under the ministry of Billy Graham. Now it's one of the darkest cities as far as spiritually speaking that there is. Because the enemy is not like God. He doesn't know everything. He can only respond to what the church does. And when revival breaks out, the move of God comes in. That's when he sends forth his minions to hinder or shut down the move of God. Right? So that's why we say in the church, if you're pressing forward in faith towards something, that you will wound up gaining opposition. It's not because you screwed up. It's because the devil is aware of your tactics. And when you start getting on his radar, he's going to send whatever he can to shut you down. 
but rejoice because he can only do it for a season. Now, they also seek to extend the power of Satan. Demonic worship is a real thing. There are people out there that absolutely worship Lucifer. They've given themselves over through whatever greed and manipulation. They, They seek to worship the enemy. And that's all throughout the nations and all throughout time. People do worship the devil. Now, demons come. What are their maneuvers? Number one, it's an opposition, as I was just saying. They seek to hinder the purposes of God. 1 Thessalonians 2.18 says, Therefore, we want it to come to you, even I, Paul, time and time again, but Satan hindered us. So what he's referring to is oftentimes what we refer to in the church. It's like we're going through a battle. You know what I'm saying? Like you're trying to... Man, you try to get this going and you try to get that going and it just feels like you're being hit by a Mack truck. Crazy things happening, these things turning around, all of that stuff. It's because the devil wants to do his best to break you and destroy and oppose what you're moving in faith to do. And it's a very real attack. Okay, it's not something we make up in our head. It is an attack that comes from hell. And as a child of God, you've got to, number one, recognize it's an attack. Because when you recognize that it's an attack from hell and it's not the judgment of God, or God's not on my side, or God doesn't love me, or God doesn't like me, which is all fruit of what He wants to develop in your mind, because He can sever that relationship between you and God, He'll beat you. But if you stay in faith and say, I'm God's child, I'm blood-bought, full of the Spirit, full of the Word, and you may come at me one way, but newsflash, devil, you're going to flee seven different ways. And I don't even know what that looks like, but I'm about to see it happen in Jesus' name. Come on. It's like when a little, it's like when a little chihuahua comes. You know what I'm saying? Anybody ever seen them? They come up, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, they think they're 12 feet tall. But if you just do this, you stomp at them, boy, that that chihuahua, this leg goes that way, that leg goes that way, they, and then suddenly they take traction and take off. That's the devil. You may seek to oppose me, but guess what? You will not win over the church of Jesus Christ. The gates of hell will not prosper against my life. I recognize your maneuvers and I call you out in Jesus' name and I cast you out of my mind and out of my life. Get away from me in Jesus' name. Angels, whoop them. Come on, somebody. Sometimes you got to get south side of the kingdom, buddy. If you've not prayed and done a roundhouse kick at the same time, you're not even really praying. (laughs) You've not pulled a muscle in a time of prayer. I don't know that you're fervent in anything. Another, Another maneuver of the devil is the Bible talks about false doctrine. My father in law, great man of God, has said he's watched people be delivered from sin, even great ministers that fall in sin. God can restore them, God can redeem them, and, and, and put them back in a place of authority. Seeing a lot of sickness healed. But false doctrine, when it gets in a person's heart, oftentimes destroys that person's ministry. Things like Calvinism, the teaching that once saved, always saved, all these things that come up that destroy great ministries. It eliminates the preaching of the gospel. It eliminates any personal responsibility. Predestination, this manipulation of hell, that you don't get to choose Christ. 
I get to choose God. Come on. Because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, every, born, every man and woman that ever walks the earth now has access to freely choose God. Doesn't matter what our birthright is, doesn't matter what our name is, doesn't matter what our education is, and it doesn't cost us any money. It's free because Christ has made it free. Come on, somebody. False doctrine. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.10, the Spirit expressly says that in the later times, which is what we're in now, some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now understand this, what the devil masters is manipulating God's word and twisting it. He's a perverter. He will pervert anything that is given to him. He's not a creator, he's a perverter. So he takes what is real and he perverts it into a lie to manipulate and gain your attention to something that shouldn't be on. And before long people go down this rabbit trail of the demonic and before long the devil is so big... Christmas is of hell, you can't do anything anymore, you can't even do this anymore, you can't do that, you shouldn't pray that way. I've watched it destroy people's lives and marriages because they follow false doctrine. That's why you got to be in a place that teaches the word. That's why you got to also, don't just, I mean, you, you, you study, you follow it, you get the word of God in it, you lead yourself through that and you stay humble along the way. And say, Holy Spirit, keep me on path. You are the greatest teacher. But believing the perversion of the truth leads you into a prison cell. And people don't see it. Another, another maneuver of devils is idol worship. They are behind idol worship. It is demonic because it doesn't make sense that anybody would ever worship something that is created by man. Why would I worship something that I could create? Why would I worship a, a, a physical body, people even do? And you can see it now in Africa. Idol worship is anything that you prop up and this becomes something that you honor, you glorify. This is something that takes your affection, your attention. This gives your, your heart towards. And in Africa, you can see that people follow and, and flock to witch doctors. And witch doctors have supernatural power. They can, they can make people breathe underwater. They can make people climb on walls like Spider-Man. They can do demonic stuff and they propagate and put themselves up because people flock to it to worship them. Simon the sorcerer was a sorcerer and sought to buy the power of God so that more people would worship him. That's why Peter said, your money perish with you. The things of God are not for sale. But in America, the demons are kind of now understand this too, demons are not stupid. They actually recognize the power of God. They recognize the authority of God. They knew the prophetic timeline of Christ. They would say from their mouths, you're tormenting us before our time. They knew things. They're not idiots. And so demons will also, in America, utilize and hide behind politics, acting, Hollywood, careers, even inside the church. They look the part and they lead great followings astray. But it's still demonic. And people are like, why are demons not manifesting in America? Because we don't call them out. And there's some, I'll get into that more in a bit. But ultimately, you've got to understand the maneuvers of hell is not always, it's not always someone chopping a chicken's head off. That would be a, a number one sign if you went into a place <laughs> and they were doing that, that go ahead and leave. 
you know, peace out. You know, I like chicken and all, but not that way, you know. <laughs> I've heard of people that went to places and it was like instantly you walked in, you were sick in your gut. You knew something was wrong. Get out of that place. It's demonic. But the Bible talks about idol worship leads ultimately to sin, to depravity. It will never lead to holiness, wholeness, love, peace, and unity. So you have to be careful. You should have no other gods above Christ. That includes money. In America, we worship fame and we worship money. And it destroys, it destroys households. It destroys marriages. It destroys ministries. It destroys states. It destroys the nation as we focus on these things. Following what's happened right now, that you, if you follow the whole FTX thing, if that's true, they were taking billions of dollars, feeding it to the Ukraine through FTX and coming right back in the pockets of our politicians. Billions of dollars. And we're not talking Democrats alone. We're talking about Democrats and Republicans. Because they worship money. If you worship money, your soul is for sale and you will find your price tag and the devil will pay it. That's why you got to die to that. That's why giving is a powerful tool because it's never forget the Lord thy God for it is he that has given you the power to create wealth. My wealth is established by you, God, and by the covenant I have with you, and I will always put you first in my life. Money will not rule in my household. If i got to give it away a billion times, guess what? I'll give it away because you are my source, you are my supply, and I have everything I need in your name alone, God. You're all that I need. Come on, somebody. And you've got to recognize that. Idol worship, you've got to stand against these things. People putting up posters, going fanatics over actors and actresses. And every word that comes from their mouth as though it's truth. These people don't know the truth half the time. I'm not saying they're idiots, but I'm saying you cannot follow an idol and expect to stay free. Another maneuver of devils is sickness. The Bible talks about it. In Scripture, it literally reveals in Matthew chapter 9 that a devil costs a man to be mute and blind. And Christ cast that devil out, and he could speak and he could see. Matthew 12, there's another indication a person was blind by a demonic force upon his life. Jesus cast the devil out, and the person could see. The man, the legion in chains, that was insanity and abnormal strength. I've seen 12-year-old girls throw grown men. That is demonic strength, and it's insanity. It's always coupled with insanity. They don't know what's going on. They're absolutely vicious and crazy. That's in Africa. And I remember grabbing that 12-year-old girl, watching people throw, be thrown 5, 10 feet away, and grab that little girl, put my knees on her chest, and just say, in the name of Jesus, peace right now, and just the flood of God. Little girl appears, and you know it's a little girl now, and she's crying. Her, her dad comes in, it's Africa, offered some sacrifice to a demon to get money in the household. Now his daughter's possessed, he doesn't know how to get her set free, he's crying, she's crying, and we get her totally delivered, filled with the Holy Spirit, redeemed and saved by Jesus Christ. Pray over them, that's what you got to do, amen. And guess what, the power of God is greater than the power of hell. This man was so, he was so strong, they chained him up and he broke the chains and people were in fear of him. And then Jesus shows up and the guy totally, I mean, walks right up and basically, if you follow scripture, never tried to attack Christ, never reached out, just basically was like, hey, can the demons in me go somewhere else? 
Yeah, you can go in the group of pigs, and even pigs are smart enough to know. If a demon gets in me, I ain't living my life no more. Don't let a pig have more sense than you, amen? If a pig knows not to have a demon, you should know not to have a demon too. It's demonic, demonic, insanity, abnormal strength. Deformities, there was the story of a woman bent over, her body literally twisted by demonic force. When Christ set her free and cast the demon out, her body straightened up. So sometimes sickness is rooted in demonic. It's like if you go to the doctor and the doctor can't pinpoint what's going on, can't figure it out, but there's symptoms and their symptoms are always changing and manipulating, it's just driving you. Guess what? Go to church, get the elders of God to lay hands on you, And cast that spirit of infirmity off of your life. And guess what? You will be set free in Jesus' mighty name. It's true. It's biblical that that is one of the things the devil does. He seeks to kill, steal, and destroy to make every life miserable. And whatever means possible, he's going to do it. Now, how does he ultimately do it? Through, number one, demonic influence. Most of what the devil does is not all-out possession. Many people in this day and age are basically just rooted in the plaque. You're either possessed or you're not. The devil is a master at manipulating people's life through suggestion, temptation, fears, things around you that influence you and lead you down a path that ultimately is where he can control and if not all the way into possession, at least destroy things in your life that are godly that he wants out. Demonic influence. This is what Paul spoke about in Ephesians, which is what I used two weeks ago. This chapter in Ephesians that standing against the fiery darts of the wicked one. That's demonic influence in your life. In America, we have demonic influence in our life daily just from the media. Promise you. Because it's the same weapon that Christ gave the church that through the power of our declaration we can decree a thing and establish a thing. The devil perverts the exact same thing and decrees and decrees and decrees and decrees until he can get someone to agree with that thing. And then when there's agreement between hell and you, guess what? Hell will have its way. That's why you got to guard your heart and guard your mind, the Bible says. Most of the work of the devil's external influence, suggestion, temptation, confusion, mental harassment, oftentimes propagated by others around us that yielded, whether knowingly or unknowingly, to demonic influence. Right. A lot of people go to work every day, and your boss ain't saved. Your boss's goal in life is to sleep with as many women as possible and down a bottle of Jack Daniels every day, and he's the one over you, and it sets in your workplace. An attitude where there's no righteousness, there's nothing going on that's good, and that influence seeks to get and pervert your own mind and thoughts. That's why the Bible says so clearly you've got to watch also the company that you keep. Who is around you and who's speaking into your life all the time? When we talked about a house in order, I said that even if a husband tells a wife, don't listen to that woman anymore. She's gone through three marriages She's destroying households. She seems great, but she's also full of hell. Boy, it got quiet in this Presbyterian church. (laughs) 
But it's true. And that goes the other way, too, for men. Your wife says, don't hang out with that guy. All he's doing is spotting every woman in the church. And that, that influence seeks to pervert a person. That's why the Bible says, don't even have coarse talk among you. You don't even go to that place anymore. I'm redeemed. My eyes are clean. My hands are clean. I stay clean in Jesus' name. I don't want the enemy to influence me through those around me. What's some of the examples? You go to work too. A co-worker is yielded to fear. Now they yield to fear and every day at work all you hear is it's going to get bad. There's going to be food shortages. There's going to be limitations. Get ready. Everything's bad. It's breaking loose. Then you come into an atmosphere of faith and hear the word of God say, I shall not lack. I will never fear. I will never be abandoned. You've now got to use your faith to attach back to the word of God to overcome the influence that's been propagated on your mind throughout the week. It's a spiritual fight, but guess what? If you stay with the Word of God, you will overcome in Jesus' name. But that's what he does. He seeks to pervert, to push, to manipulate, to suggest. Anybody ever had the most random thoughts be just pop in your mind? You're like, where did that come from? I told the church Sunday night, and I share always way too much. That's my personality. That's why it's a miracle anybody still comes to this church. I look out every Sunday. How? But it's like if you're standing close to a ledge and there's someone there with you, you know that stupid thought, you could, you could shove them. How many people ever had that thought pop up? Okay, praise God. I was like, well, don't praise God, but praise At least I'm not the only one, okay? Glad to say I've always overcome the devil in this one. <laughs> never shoved anybody yet. No, I never will. But it's such a weird thought. You know what I'm saying? You're there and you're like, where did that even come from? That's not in my heart. That's not within me. That's not how I think. That's not what I think. It's just the devil. Suggestion. Put it right in there. And if he can get you to meditate on it and begin to think about it, and ultimately his goal is to get it from a thought up here to go from a thought up here to get deep down into your heart to where it's just coming out of your mouth. For out of your mouth flow the issues of life. That's why the Bible says guard the heart. Demonic influence comes upon you. Pornography. What do you think that is? It's an influence to manipulate and destroy purity within your life. And the more you succumb to it, the more you yield to it, the greater uh, the, the, the stronghold in your mind becomes until ultimately you can even study people that have been led so far in that perversion that it perverts every aspect of their life. It's not all out possession, but it could become that way. But in the leading up to it, it's an influence, it's a suggestion, and it's a temptation. But thank God that God will not allow us to be tempted above that which we can withstand. Are you with me? You can stand against the works of the devil. You can stand your ground. You can cast him out. You can tell him to get out of your mind, get out of your thoughts, get out of this place, and get out of my life in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody. Comparison. The devil used suggestion and comparison. The game. You're failing. You don't have it. The keeping up with the Joneses, if you really look at it, that's a demonic root in this nation. That seeks the people don't have any satisfaction and any contentment with what God has given them because they always think someone has more. 
Newsflash, there will always be a Jeff Bezos. There will always be an Elon Musk. But I would bet that my life is more joyful than their lives are. Come on, somebody. I really would. These people probably aren't all that happy after all. They're probably living in stark fear of losing everything because at any moment everything could turn. Thank God I don't know that. Amen. Amen. Now, comparison. Thankfulness combats this. See, we talk about spiritual warfare. What combats this? How do you stand against it? Well, number one, a thankful heart will stand against most of the influence of the enemy to tempt you. Rather than sitting there and complaining, oh, yeah, it's bad in America. Oh, the election results are crap. Oh, my body's sick. All of these things. You could literally turn your your mouth into a praise weapon. Thank God that you're on my side. Thank God that I may be in this world, but I'm not of this world. Thank God that I'm passing through and this life is but a vapor and someday soon I'll walk on streets of gold. Thank God that I'm full of the Holy Ghost and power. Thank God that His voice is in me and when I declare a thing, it's established in Jesus' name. Thank you, God, that by your stripes I have been made whole. I have been redeemed. I'm a child of the Most High. Thank you, God. That you've gone ahead of me. You make the crooked path straight in my life. Thank you, God. I praise you in the morning and I praise you in the evening and I praise you at supper time. Especially at supper time. Come on. Cornbread and pinto beans. Ha! Shakata. Woo! Glory to God. Pot roast. Ah! Whoa. Jesus, come right out of you, just that praise. You know, you dance all the way to the table. You don't believe it? Watch us at the potluck tonight. Nobody's going to be sad tonight. They're all going to be like, Woo, God's so good. Demonic influence seeks to get your agreement. The Bible tells us the power of agreement. That if we, uh, two or more on earth, come in agreement as touching anything, it shall be even established unto them and given unto them. There's power in agreement, and that's what the enemy seeks to do. Can I get Chris to agree with what I want him to agree with today? If I can get him to agree today, then it's easier to get him to agree tomorrow. And before long, a year from now, Chris is now so in agreement with the devil, he can't even see the difference. And this is deception. And ultimately, this can lead to possession. And we'll get in as we roll into that. Here's what I've learned throughout the years. People are like, how do you get people set free of the devil? How do you get them? How do you cast that thing out? Oftentimes, I have noticed in my own personal walk with God that when a person is fully deceived, the only thing that breaks it off is they've got to get in an atmosphere, hear the word, hear the word, until it breaks the deception, number one, off in the mind. Because like I said, then they begin to realize this is not coming from me, this is coming from the enemy. And when they realize they don't want it any longer is when there's authority to cast the thing out. So ultimately, possession. Let's talk about possession, demonic possession. The Bible says, obviously, that Judas traveled with Christ... And he was stealing money, so he's under the influence of the devil. Taking money out was greedy, concerning it, but ultimately all the way until the Last Supper, the Bible uses the terminology that Satan entered into Judas. Because this influence led to possession. 
Possession is where the devil literally controls a person's physical movements, thoughts, everything. It's like he takes over and this person winds up doing exactly what hell wants to do. Years ago, my father-in-law was preaching a message. A guy came at him with a screwdriver to kill him. Right in the middle of the church service. The guy walks right up there, right past security, comes at him, raises his screwdriver and is about to stab him. My father-in-law sees it, grabs his arm. Ushers jump on him, tackle the guy, drag him to the back, get him cast, set free at a demon, got him set free, saved, born again, forgiven, full of the Holy Ghost. And the guy said he was driving down the road and a voice spoke to him in the car, turn around, go to the river Tampa Bay, someone will meet you in the lobby. Oh, it was in South Africa. And, and someone will meet you in the lobby and give you a weapon and kill the man of God. So he heard the voice, agreed with the voice. Next thing he knew, he was being set free under the carpet, had no recollection of anything other than that, but said he walked in the lobby and someone walked up and handed him a screwdriver. That's demonic. People say, why do you have security here? Because we're not stupid. We live in a day and age that people full of the devil shoot up churches all the time. Someone's like, hey, you got security, it makes me uncomfortable. It's funny, you still go to Disney. And they practically give you a colonoscopy just to get in the place. You'll line up for that all day long. Bend over. Yes, sir. I, want, I can't, can't wait to go to Disney Springs today. Make sure you check to the left. I've been, I've been studying. You know. My, be wise. Recognize there is a devil. He would love to do nothing more than destroy the churches of this, of this nation. And so we, we seek to protect the children of God. Come on, David protected the sheep. And when the bear came, he didn't say, oh man, should have had security. He ran down that bear and he beat that bear down. Can't. It's possession. Now listen. Follow along with this. First of all, how, do we, how does influence work that leads to possession in the thought world? On the thoughts. The, the thoughts that come in a person. Just because a thought came didn't mean it came from you. Are you with me? Thoughts. The Bible says that the devil is the prince of the air. Whether that is referring to the fact that literally he can just almost send weird things in the air to you or whatever. But there is that influence that comes in your mind to seek to pervert. And that's why the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal through God, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, the casting down of vain imaginations and bringing every thought in captivity to the obedience of Christ Jesus. When the thought comes, that's your war zone. Come on, somebody. And you take authority over it right there and you bind that thing and you cast it out and you glorify God. And guess what? You just defeated the devil. And you didn't even have to have a seance or anything weird. You just did it right there. Because there's authority in the church. When the devil came to pervert Christ Jesus to get him to worship him, how arrogant and how stupid is Satan to think that the Son of God would bow down and worship him. But he was so driven with his pride and arrogance, he thought he could convert Christ Jesus. Jesus didn't sit there and say, angels, please help me. Oh, send forth the prayer lane. He said, it is written in the word of God. I will not yield to that in Jesus' name. Well, he didn't use his name, but it was. 
He established it. He, Jesus was going around all the time in third person, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and in Jesus' name. This Jesus guy seems a little full of himself. <laughs> Words around you become thoughts too. That's why the company you keep. That's why the media that's pumped out. Words become thoughts. You listen to enough words long enough, it becomes something that gets in your thought life. That's why anybody ever had a weird dream before, and you're like, where did that dream came from? It came from influences throughout the day that come at you, that then you're, 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 it's like your soul is processing these things at nighttime, and it manifests in a crazy dream. Not every dream is of God. Some dreams are not of God. Some dreams are coming from that conscious place that then you wake up and you're like, I bind that in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, somebody. If I've had my wife have bad dreams about me and then I have to spend the whole day having to talk good to her because she's mad at me for what I did in my dream. <laughs> I'm like, babe, that's not even fair. I know, that was like 13 years ago. I still remember it today, though. Dream Caleb is not real Caleb, okay? Dream Caleb's a loser from Loserville. Unless he was a good Caleb in the dream, and then he's, that's me. <laughs> Proverbs 4, 20 through 24, my children, pay attention to what I say. And listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Avoid all perverse talk and stay away from corrupt speech. Come on. And then that begins to be a guard against the enemy that's seeking to influence your life because now your words are redeemed. And your mouth is redeemed. And you take authority over thoughts. Now he's trying to find a way in. But he can't find a way in. Now that's why confession is powerful. Because when you confess from your mouth the word of God, the things of God, it breaks off the things around you that have been spoken over you. Speak it out. Not to judge Job. Obviously in the scripture of Job. The whole book reveals that God very much loved Job, very pleased with him, and absolutely rewarded him twice over what he lost. But the moral is at the start, if you follow what Job did, he allowed his sons and his daughters to get drunk and to party and to do wicked things. And he said from his mouth, they probably sinned, they've probably done wicked things, I'll make an offering. So it wasn't a declaration or a confession of faith and the hand of God redeeming and saving his household. It was a declaration of they've sinned and hopefully I can appease the Lord. And if you really follow it, that's how the enemy found a way in. The enemy could not touch Job, but he could touch those wicked around Job. And so at the end, when Job changed his confession, that's when everything was restored back unto him. Come on, somebody. Which is why praise and prayer are a weapon. Praise him. Come on. Demonic possession ultimately leads to perverseness, murderous spirits, vileness, deceitfulness. To be free of a demon, repentance is necessary, as well as deliverance. 
Because ultimately demonic possession may not be the cost, but rather the result or the symptom of sin and iniquity that has gone unrepentive in the heart of the individual. Ultimately, that's what it leads to. That's why they say, can a Christian be possessed? Well, if you follow that train of thought, if a believer, I love Jesus, but then I let sin into my life, I don't repent of the sin, and I follow that sin as far as I can follow it, ultimately, by searing my conscience and hardening my heart to the Lord, I have fallen, as Hebrews says, from grace, and now basically I'm not a believer. Can I be possessed at that point? 100%. But if you're a believer... You love Jesus. Who loves Jesus? Raise your hands at me. And you screw up, but you repent. Who in here is quick to repent if you do screw up? Guess what? Light is greater than darkness. If you are repentant in your heart and you did screw up and you're like, Father, forgive me, wash and cleanse me, set me free, guess what? It is impossible. Write it in capital letters on every notebook you ever have. It is impossible For the Spirit of God to allow a demon to dwell with it. The demon will not casually reside where the Spirit of God resides. Everywhere Jesus went, the demons left and fleed the premises. Understand this. Can a Christian be possessed if a Christian backslides to the point of no longer living in a place of grace? Yes, they can be full of the devil. Yes, we have seen it happen. And yes, I've seen people get set free. Come on. But ultimately, if you're a child of God, full of faith, repentive, and full of the Holy Ghost, you're not walking around with demons on the inside of you, period. Doesn't mean he's not trying to influence you. It just means you don't have a demon that has to be cast out. And I'm dealing with this strongly because I've watched people lately go to every deliverance service and get delivered 17 times. Bro, where are you picking these things up? Is there, a, is there a, like a, a, a Walmart for demons? And I'm going to hit this because the Bible talks about the cure is, it's preaching the gospel. You know that none of the calls in the Bible of the fivefold ministry is exorcism. It's not a call. The call is the fivefold to establish and equip the church to do the work of the ministry. And as believers, we are all called to preach the gospel and to cast out demons. So the power lies in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where a person heirs is, people get ministries created called exorcists, and that's all they focus on, and whether intentionally or unintentionally, they wind up giving more glory to the devil than to Christ Jesus. And that's not the goal of the church. My goal is not to get up and tell you how big the devil is. My goal is to get up and remind you he's beneath your feet. Because Christ is one. It is established forevermore. And there's nothing the devil can do to convince me otherwise. Shut up and get back under my boots. That's why I wore the devil's stomping boots today. Preach the gospel. Because in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it breaks off the strongholds that attach to the minds of people. The gospel is not just a head message. It's a message full of power, full of supernatural wonder. It is the power of God unto salvation. That's why you can go to church as a backslidden person or never been saved before like I did. Heart beating, wigged out on drugs, 
sweating from a hangover, uncomfortable to be there. But when they preach the gospel, your heart's racing, you're sweating, and you're like, this is something I have to run for. You don't want to go there. You don't want people to know, but you find yourself running to the front. Because there's power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not just in the man that's preaching it. It's in the power, it's in the gospel itself. That if you would preach the gospel, devils will leave in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody. Now, the overemphasis of demons in the church leads people to, you're a troubled wife. Your husband's not really serving the Lord. Your household's kind of divided, but you love Jesus and everything's great. Then everybody's always talking about demons, and you're fully convinced. You're either your husband's got a demon, or you got a demon, or someone's got a demon. Now, rather than focusing on the declaration of your mouth and the freedom found in Christ and the authority that he's given unto you, you become preoccupied with trying to figure out how to get rid of a demon. It's quiet up in here. Is this okay on a Sunday morning? I feel like I'm losing the crowd. A lonely, depressed teen dealing with self-image problems. Always hearing about a demon. Now, rather than building themselves up with their confession from God, Understanding I am fearfully and wonderfully made by Christ Jesus. He loves me. My life is not a throwaway. I have a purpose. I have a plan. And that plan is His plan. And that plan will come to pass in Jesus' name. And understanding that, then they become preoccupied with maybe I've got a demon. Maybe I get it. And then that's an open door where the enemy will come and find himself. Well, take a way to get in. Are you with me right now? A stressed man tired of taking care of your household maybe i got a demon maybe my wife has a demon maybe my teenager has a demon <laughs> now then they book a deliverance session with a preacher oil starts flying somebody blows a shofar people are screaming and number one and i'm uh, just hitting it plainly i'm sorry if you, this is over, but even some of the things you see in the church, you've never found in Scripture, they didn't throw up in Scripture. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't happen. There's manifestations when a person gets set free, convulsions thrown on the ground in the Bible. And it, but it's almost like it's trained in Spanish churches especially. That if a demon's going to come out, grab an airplane bag to throw the thing up into. Not every demon is, a, is your lunch. What happens... What happens is, now you've been set free, but you haven't even begun to address the renewing of your mind. And so now, sure enough, two months later, you're right back. And it must be another demon because it's still there. It is not a demon. It's an influence around you that you have adopted and you have believed that you need to redeem your mind through the washing of the water of the word and you've got to rise in the authority that's given unto you because a preacher's not there in your bedroom when the thoughts come come on and you're the one that's got to realize i bind this in jesus name i will not go back down this path i tell you devil you're a liar and i will not listen to you anymore Casting it out, the stronghold anyways. Because the renewing of the mind is the main thing that you've got to work on. If your mind is renewed and Christ is on the inside of you, 
you are not walking around in danger of being suddenly filled by some creepy crawly. Ain't happening, bro. They run when you show up. Now, casting out demons, scripturally speaking, Jesus said, I cast them out by the Spirit of God. That's why in a revival service, people are like, what's going on in a revival service? This person's screaming, this person's on the ground. You know, devils come out in revival services. And you know what's beautiful about that? It's the glory of God in the room that gets all the attention and not the demons. Come on, somebody. When the presence of God is in the place, Friday night at October outpouring, I became acutely aware in the middle of the service. That's what's happening. People are being delivered right now. You could hear people screaming out. But if you were to look at the service, you just see and feel the presence of God. There was no let's watch what the devil does. There was no let's pull them forward and ask them their name. That only happened one time in Scripture when, the G, when Jesus conversed. And really, that, was, that wasn't his normal thing. He actually would order demons, shut up. Be silent. Speak no more. The spirit of divination upon the woman, Paul didn't say, what, what spirit are you? He said, shut up and come out in Jesus' name. He took authority over that demon and that woman. So we cast out the Spirit of God is one of the greatest things. Glorious uh, Times of worship, when the presence of God is filling the place, saturating the house. Guess what? The enemy will manifest and come out in Jesus' name. That's why we seek to be a presence-driven church. That's why we fight for this and we contend for the presence of God because we know that it, number one, is safety, it's protection, it's deliverance, it's freedom, it's everything we want in this house. And we have tons of people that come that got delivered just during worship because the presence of God is in the place. Amen. Then the other one scripturally is Paul cast out demons in Jesus' name. Peter healed people in Jesus' name all throughout Scripture. Then we find the seven sons of Sceva that came and tried to do the same thing. The name of Jesus is not a magic spell. So if there's levels of demons and there's levels of angels and there's levels of mankind, what that means is I, my job in the church is not to go out and try and find every demon I can find to cast them out. Right. My job is to preach the gospel, lay hands on the sick, and when a demon manifests, cast it out Amen. in the name of Jesus. But it's not a magic spell. People are like, like, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. That refers to the walk you have with God. It's not that just because you know Jesus' name you have power. It has to do with how much Christ-like are you. How much is the word actually redeemed and worked within you? How much of light are you full of? That's why there are people, and if you don't believe me, when the, when the demon was in the sun and Jesus came down, he was angry that they didn't get him free. He wasn't happy, but they did not possess the power nor the authority to cast the devil out, and Jesus called them perverse and faithless. What he was saying, he was upset because it's accessible to them, they had access to it, but they didn't carry it, and that was their fault, not his fault. Are you with me right now? That's why living the Christian walk is absolutely important. Walking in freedom yourself leads to helping other people walk in freedom too. The, the devils that leapt from on the seven sons of Sceva actually revealed this spiritual truth. They knew Jesus, they knew Paul, but they didn't know them. They had no clue. You might know the name of Jesus, but you're not known in hell. How do you get known in hell? By being a soul winner? 
by, 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 by preaching the word, by being full of the word of God and declaring it over your life, by walking in faith and producing things, and every time he tries to oppose you, you break his back and push forward, then you become to be aware in the kingdom of darkness. And that's why when you show up, we've had people in prayer, we've had men doing prayer, come in here, manifest a demon, and the weirdest stuff, I'm not bragging, but I walk up to them and they're like, no, we know you. Well, I don't know you. <laughs> and I'm not, in the, I'm not in the mood to get to know you. Shut up. Get out of here in Jesus' name. Now, shut up and get out in Jesus' name. Get them set free. Get them full of the Holy Ghost. And full of the word of God. Why? Because the Bible says if you cast a demon out and you don't get them filled back up, they'll go and get seven more wicked. Isn't that crazy? There's like degrees of devils. There's like this devil was just kind of bad. He was like the one that made you throw cherry bombs in the toilet. But this next demon, he's the one that Manson had. You want to not yield to that one. <laughs> cherry bombs, it's a little wicked. Manson, that's real evil. Nuh-uh. Hitler, my God. But that's scriptural. There are degrees of wickedness even in the kingdom of darkness. Crazy, huh? Because nobody ever wakes up one day and says, let me be Hitler or let me be Manson. But they'll wake up one day and let's say, let me just do this. It's degrees of wickedness. Is this okay today? Now, the ministry of casting out demons, though, is given to all of us. I'm not saying that to make you afraid. I'm saying that to call you to the accountability of you have to live the Christian life to walk in the divine power you're supposed to live and walk in. If you are, how, what would eradicate the authority of Christ in your life? Compromise. So everything I've just been talking about, compromise in your life. Where you sold out to make money. You manipulate a person, you lied to a person, you keep sinning, you keep pushing this envelope, and you're unrepentant, that's compromise in your life. You are not walking in the authority you're supposed to walk in. And you might fool everybody in the church because you talk the Christian talk, but when it comes to the forces of darkness, they know the difference. And they only respond to true authority. That's why you, as a child of God, should say, I'm going to walk in authority in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody. And when you begin to walk in authority, these things get revealed to you. And I'm wrapping up now so that we have plenty of time to go and get food and come back for the potluck. I would say this so you know, in regards of taking authority over the demonic, when you become aware of it and it is revealed to you by the Spirit of God, you have authority in that moment to do something. I was, in, I was in Alaska, and I was listening to a woman. She came into the service. It was in the middle of a revival service. The presence of God was strong. It was a two-story church. And I felt the Spirit of God say, go downstairs. So I went downstairs, and as I went downstairs, a woman opened the door and said, looked at me and said, are you the preacher that's preaching tonight? I said, yes, I am. She said, please, I need, to, I need you to pray for me. She sat down. We were in this basically underneath is the kids' church. And she said, my life is a ruin I'm plagued with sickness in my body. My husband is at home right now with his girlfriend that, I, that he lives with in the house that I pay for. I can't get them out. I don't know what to do. My children hate me. Uh, I'm constant financial duress. And the Christian response came from me that everything's going to be okay. So I put my hand on her and I was like, 
ma'am, everything's going to be all right. God loves you. And the moment I said that, the Spirit of God on the inside of me said, do not tell her it will be all right because there is a tormenting spirit on her life that if it is not cast out, will not make it all right. And the moment I heard that by the Spirit of God, I had my hand on her shoulder and I knew it was a spirit. And I said, you foul, tormenting spirit. The moment I said it, her body stiffened, her eyes locked at me. I mean, looked up and she started growling. And then you know. (laughs) That's what's the problem. And I was like, I didn't shout, I didn't scream, I didn't back up, I just kept my hand on her shoulder and I looked her right in the eyes. And I knew, the moment that demon's looking at you, that demon's trying to figure out, do you have authority over me? That's what's going on. And when you don't back down, he will back down. Because if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. And I was like, you come out of this woman in Jesus' name. Boom, the presence of God hit her. She started crying. I hugged her. I got her. She led her in the sinner's prayer. She has Jesus in her heart. Got her full of the Holy Ghost, praying in tongues, totally delivered, joyous, laughing, beaming with a smile. The pastor came down. That night, she went home. At 1 o'clock in the morning, the pastor had to show up at the house because the moment she walked in her house, having been set free, every demon in the place went nuts. I mean, her husband started screaming, throwing stuff. The girlfriend jumped out the window and ran off in the snow. And the children started manifesting and stuff. And the pastor was like, my God, thanks a lot. You should have went home with me too. Because the kingdom of light is greater than the kingdom of darkness. It's plain and simple. Years and years ago, our little girl, Taylor, was she one met in the middle of the night. It was the weirdest thing. We heard this strange noise going on. And we went out in the living room, and there's Taylor. She was what, nine? Nine years old, convulsing. Eyes rolled in the back of her head, foam coming from her mouth. We didn't even know how she got in the living room to begin with. Convulsing on the ground and on the couch. And I was like, it's like two o'clock in the morning. It was so loud it woke us up, and we ran out there. You're half asleep. We grabbed her. She was like just gurgling, making weird noises. We were praying, praying, praying. Got got her calm. Fell back asleep. Woke up in the morning. And she, in the morning time, she didn't go back into convulsions. But she literally was like, our daughter lost her mind. She didn't know who she was. She didn't know where she was. She didn't know who I was. She was nine years old. I was trying to bathe her. And she was spinning around in circles in the bathtub making weird noises and she was simple-minded she couldn't get dressed she didn't know where she was she didn't know what was going on I wasn't in the ministry then I was just working for a ministry and I was I was like God what do I do our little girl and I had to dress her that day nine years old I had to dress her like she was a baby and I picked her up she wasn't even walking and I was holding her in the in the kitchen she was just in my arms and just like looking around, like gone. And I was like, God, what, what is going on? I love you. This is, your, this is your house. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, Caleb, you want to break this off of your daughter? You just start looking at her and tell her how much you love her. And I remember I held her and I looked at her and I was like, Taylor, your daddy loves you. <laughs> I love you so much. I'm proud of you. And people don't know this, but Taylor's not my biological daughter. She has gone through the ringer 
with the other side of the family and being pulled. You know how that works. And I was like, you can't do anything to me that would ever make me upset. You're my little girl and I'm your dad. She looked at me and she just, she just started crying and I held her and I just, just spoke over for 30, 40 minutes. And man, it was a progression that I don't know how this happened. We found out later they were casting out demons in kids' church. And she was around. And maybe that happened. Maybe she wasn't walking in it yet of accountability. Who knows? And it was sickness too. A root of sickness in. But it was about a day long of me just, every time I was with her, I'd hold her. And I would just declare over her life how much I loved her. And man, that thing broke. She never had convulsions ever again. Never went back. Never anything. That thing was gone and dealt with in one 24-hour period. And I just want to encourage you. Why? The devil may find a way in. He is awful. And I hate the devil. If I could beat him up on your behalf, I would gladly do it. If he would physically stand before me, I would fight with everything I've got. I'd take his tail and I'd beat him with his own tail. And I wouldn't let up. That's gruesome. He's, I hate him. I'm not praying for his redemption. Satan, you get out of my life and you go away. I've watched you pick on people. I've watched you hurt people. And I hate you with everything in me. There is one thing I'm sure of. I love God and I hate the devil. And I will always be an adversary of hell because you touched my household. So now I'm going to touch yours. Why do we have power? Because Mark 16, 17 says, if we believe these miraculous signs will follow us, that it will cast out demons in Jesus' name. Your household that's been plagued by suicidal thoughts, I pray the faith of God upon you. That you would deal in this generation with such power and authority that the next thousand generations, if Jesus tarries, would never deal with what has plagued your household up till now. Colossians 2.15 says, Jesus made a public spectacle of the forces of darkness and disarmed them once and for all. From the place of this, of my redemption in Jesus Christ, the devil cannot beat me ever. He may come, but he never, ever, ever will win. You can come at me for a season. And there may be times in that season that I fall on my knees and I feel broken and I feel defeated. But guess what? I don't stay there. For the righteous may fall, but they are going to get back up again. And the angels of the Lord are going to come and minister unto me. And they're going to curd me up. And I'm going to come out swinging with the forces of heaven on my side. And I will not stop. And if every child of God would get this right. There is a devil. He's awful. He will come in whatever way he can find to come in. Through your kids. Through your cousin. Through your mother. Through your uncle Frank. Sorry if your name's Frank and you're an uncle. Every time I say a name, we get messages. People think I'm talking about them. Why'd you bring me up and call me out like that? First of all, I didn't know there was a real Myrtle in the room. 
In Luke 10, 19, we're closing. The Bible says, look, I've given you all authority. All authority. All authority. And you will tread on serpents and you will tread on scorpions. You are not defeated. You're just in a war. But according to Scripture, the war has one ending over a child of God's life. And that is that we are victorious forevermore. Christ said we are seated in heavenly places with Him right now forevermore in all power, all dominion, and all might. Hear me when I say this. If the enemy comes at you, you have been well equipped with everything you need to fight the good fight of faith and win the battle. Thanks for listening to River Claremont's podcast. We pray you were greatly blessed by this message. If you'd like to keep up to date with what's happening at the River Claremont Church, visit us at riverclaremont.com.